Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Applied Human Design podcast. I am your host, Heather, and as always, I'm so, so happy that you are here spending a little bit of time with me this afternoon or weekend or whenever you are dropping by to listen to this episode. So today, as you may have perceived from the title, uh, we're going to be doing a really, really fun one, but like still super, super helpful. Uh, We're going to be diving into like a bit of a trauma analysis and like inner child analysis and all of that stuff for Rory Gilmore. Because, I mean, if you know anything about me, there are, well, several things I love. Um, But if you take out the things that I do for work, um, like human design, astrology, magic, all of that stuff, uh, I love Taylor Swift and I love Gilmore Girls. I am a nostalgic hoe and... I, I don't think it's ever going to change. I have watched Gilmore Girls every year since I first watched it. I have, and I first watched it when I was 19 and I'm now 30, so you can do the maths. Um, like a proper Gilmore Girls fan, I start my rewatch every autumn. Um, so yeah, typically around May uh, because I am from Australia. Um, even now that I'm living in um, Europe, my... My Gilmore Girls clock uh, still runs on Australian time. Anyway, so that's what we're going to get into, but we're going to have quite a bit of a chat first. Uh, Yeah, who knows how long this chat will go. Honestly, this chat could probably like take up an entire podcast episode, but I'm not going to split it into two. We're just going to catch up. Okay, so wow, so much has been happening. All right, so finally, I am back in Tirana. Um, I haven't been too vocal at least here I spoke a little bit about it on my Instagram about what's been going on for the last few weeks but you might have been able to tell if you do follow me on Instagram or anything like that uh I was not happy <laughs> with the last like city or town in Albania that I just spent some time in um yes I did go as far to call it possibly a portal to hell and honestly I don't take it back um you know, I had a couple of really, really scary interactions. Um, I've spoken a lot, like, like I've said, I've spoken a lot about traveling alone as a woman and, you know, I've had a few like, you know, scary or like dodgy moments before, but like all in all, um, I've felt so safe. Um, not really had a problem, but yeah, I had a couple of really terrifying incidences, um, including being followed home. Um, I won't go into details, but it really, really, really traumatized me, as you can imagine. And fortunately, I have such an incredible team of energy workers who I literally also call my best friends. So it wasn't really a problem. Um, And then I went to Athens, as you know, to visit some friends um, last week. And Yeah. So after like having that situation, I ended up just spending a lot of time inside. I didn't really want to leave my apartment in the last town because anytime I went outside, it was just like the weirdest, most intense energy. Like I swear I was the only person um, who wasn't in like the lowest possible frequency uh, in that entire town. And that kind of makes you stand out like a sore thumb um and then yeah so I was like so excited to go to Athens to like get a little break to see my friends and the time I was with my friends was really really nice uh but then they went home and I had like one more day left and yeah just by myself and I was just trying to do some shopping (laughs) I literally just wanted to shop I you know I haven't really been able to like shop go outside or anything for like four weeks 
Um, and exactly the same frequency of man as the one who like followed me home. It was just like this really dense, really desperate, like really like just like, uh, like depleted or like over intense, um, root chakra energy, uh, like tried to talk to me. And, you know, I said like, I'm on the phone, whatever. And then just started yelling at me and calling me stupid. Um, and I obviously ran away (laughs) once again, traumatized, once again, calling my wonderful energy worker friends and being like, help me, <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, and yeah, I am through it now, thank God. Uh, literally the last, like, four weeks has just been a crash course in energy protection to the maximum. Um, so if you, and, you know, I've spoken to a client, a few clients and friends, and they've also had some really weird, dense energies kind of coming at them. Um, the last few weeks, so I don't know if there's something in the air. I don't know exactly what's going on, but just if if you're also feeling, um, and this is not like to scare anyone, you know, I, I really I'm not about like the scaring life. It's more just about being prepared. That's what I've said to my clients. That's what I've said to myself. Uh, you are much better off having the tools. Like, learn how to protect your energy and learn how to, um, like get rid of negative things when they do choose to attach to you or come into your space or try and like uh come into your space um and always remember that nobody can take your energy uh without your permission um one thing that I found really really helpful this is going to sound so weird to people who don't know what I'm talking about but I feel like everyone listening knows exactly what I'm talking about but something that I have found really really helpful is just whenever I'm outside is I'm wearing sunglasses and a hat um yes, some protection, uh, but also to like keep my crown um, kind of blocked off uh, because, you know, obviously that's where a lot of like that celestial energy that they're trying to, um, that they're like, oh, that's really different to like most people, you know, let me get a little taste of that. Let me get a little bit of that source energy that she's embodying, that she's done the work to be able to hold in her body, right? No, like I said to my friend, like if you want to be able to hold source frequency in your body, uh, then you have to do the work of like, you know, clearing your darkness and shit yourself, right? I earned this. I earned this life force glow. Thank you so much. Anyway, um, so yeah, a hat and then also sunglasses. Um, because yeah, what I really notice is they're trying to make eye contact, like they're trying to get into, you know, eyes being the window of the soul. That is absolutely no joke. Um, so every time I was outside, I'm like wearing sunglasses. Um, but yeah, fortunately, yesterday, was it really only yesterday? Oh my goodness, it was. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime. <laughs> Um, this is what happens when your nervous system just relaxes. Wow. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so yeah, yesterday I got back to Tirana, which is the capital city here. Um, there is a lot more lightness. It is definitely not a portal to hell. Uh, there's just, yeah, some really, really beautiful beings here and I have some friends here and it's just a completely different energy. Thank goodness. Anyway, so, and I'm staying in just such a cute Airbnb too. Like as I'm recording this, I am sitting on the floor of my bedroom, um, kind of like leaning up against a beanbag as every projector should do work from, right? Like I want to do my sessions from beanbags for the rest of my life. Um, and like the afternoon sun is coming in the window and yeah, it's just beautiful. Anyway, so that's that. Okay. The other thing is that with this whole, okay. Gosh, where to start? Okay, so in addition to like that lesson, um, teaching me so much about just being like really intense and like I took a course, <laughs> I slash I'm in the middle of taking a course studying like banishments, 
um, entity attachments and all of that, just because I was like, I do not want to be messing around with this thing. Um, and I want to know what to do if either it happens to a client or it happens to me, um, or if it happens to a friend or whatever, I don't want to have to always be like, uh, depending on, you know, my, my energy worker friends being awake and all of that. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to be hitting them up every like two weeks being like, oh my God, help me get this thing out of my field. Uh, so I got really intense about that. And that combined with opening the Akashic Records for myself every day. And I don't think I shared this on here, but I had, um, so one thing that I've been trying to do in my Akashic Records, like in addition to just like a bunch of general like self-inquiry and am I on the right path and what else do I need to know? And, um, you know, give me information about this uh, like karmic relationship, give me information about this, blah, 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 like all the standard stuff. I've also really, really been trying to get to the bottom of like my witch wound, right? Like that, um, that I, I've, you know, I've known for a long time that I have either like one or like multiple past lives that have prevented me from feeling safe in like actually really, really, really like, like using my psychic gifts and leaning more into my witchy side. I've like, I've definitely been like much more public about like my witch practice and stuff like that. But there's also still been a huge part of me that kind of keeps that to myself. And it's like, no, no, I'm just like a totally normal, regular, um, like human design reader, whatever. Uh, when that's not been true for a long time. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'd been doing that and I'd gotten like some really interesting like insights. But then finally, um, and I did share this on Instagram, but so if you've seen my stories and stuff, but I finally kind of had this like visceral flashback and I guess my nervous system, my body was just finally ready to see it. That was kind of the message that I got. Like you haven't been ready to see this until then um, because it was really, really full on. Um, so if you want to, if you don't want to hear about like a really traumatic witch past life, like if you feel like that might, might be a little bit triggering for you, um, you can just skip forward probably like two, three minutes or so I'd say. Um but yeah, so in this life, I was like an oracle and I was at this like, I don't really know exactly what it was, but um, sort of how the vision started. So I see things. Um, I don't really like hear things. I feel like I'm like clairvoyant slash clairsentient. They're kind of the things that are definitely like switching on the most. Um, and yeah, so the first thing I saw, the first vision that I saw was just like a completely, like complete blackness and then just like stars, right? And I sort of figured out that I was like, um, in this place. And I was like, had my head, head completely up, like all the way back. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it. You can't see me. <laughs> um, my head tilted all the way back. Um, like I was in a trance, right. I was like delivering a prophecy. And then I just felt like, yeah, if you've ever been like, um, looked into your past lives like I just felt the sense like leave your body now like you don't want to experience this firsthand um so I left my body and was like watching the scene happening below me and I could see myself like in trance like delivering prophecy and then I saw these like three robed figures and I saw one of them just like slit like cut my throat um yeah while I was in trance right and that is so like that is just so completely messed up and like, yeah, completely traumatizing. And it took like a really long, it probably took like a good like 15 minutes of sitting there and like letting my body process that and reminding my body again and again, like that, that was then, this is now. Um, but since then, that was probably like, I don't know, like two, three weeks ago that that came through. Uh, yeah, since then, my 
work in the records has also just like amplified so so much and then you know it's so funny because literally all these episodes last week I know I was like oh yeah I'm just learning it for myself I don't really want to like do it for anyone else and then (laughs) a few days ago it was probably like I think it was even a week ago it was probably like four or five days ago um I just got this like sudden like chill through my body and it was like I'm ready to read for other people like I have to do it right now and all of my friends in Australia (laughs) were asleep like the ones who I knew would like be super open to this um except my friend Leanne um she's amazing she's one of my energy healers as well and I mean she's been on this podcast before and I talk about it all the time so you guys might know Leanne but um she'd like given me permission um just like you know a week or so before that she's like oh if you ever want to like play around in my records like I'd be curious I was like excellent I have some permission um because obviously you can't like open someone else's records without their explicit permission um you know, and that doesn't even go into like the projector of it all and like waiting for the invitation. So uh, yeah, I just like sat down, went into her records and got some really, really interesting information. And she was like, yeah, that really, um, when I like voice noted her, what I'd seen and what I'd experienced, like when she woke up, um, she was like, yeah, that actually like resonates a lot with like a lo- what a lot of other like psychics have said to me. And she's like, one thing that she said, she's like, I think you need to give yourself more credit at this Akashic Records thing. Like, I think there's more to this than you, than it's just like you having fun. And yeah, I feel like that also just like really, really activated something in me, like turn something on. It's just that classic, like that need to be recognized, like projectors not being able to see themselves as much as I was just like, oh, this is just for fun. Um, yeah. And then the next night, uh, it was just like divine timing. Um, my sister, uh, had something that she was like kind of confused about and like wanted some insight into. And that this was where it just started getting a bit more wild. And like, after I'd done her, so I didn't just do a reading with her. Um, I felt really called to like channel some light language, like do like a verbal healing. Um, yeah, because I was, like, debriefing with Leanne after I'd done, like, these other couple of, like, healing sessions. And, you know, she's an energy healer and she uses her hands. But um, I was saying, like, I don't think I'm using my hands. Like, I think my throat is, like, like my voice is, like, the healing uh, frequency. Like, it's, sometimes I will, like, use my hands as well. But it's definitely mostly, like, when I find that chakra block is what's been happening. Like, I'll just it's like, I, I cannot even describe it, right? So my typical light language is very like Syrian, right? It's very like um, upper chakras. It's very like coming from the throat. It's coming from the heart. Uh, but the language that I channeled for my sister who needed like a big like root and heart um, connection when I was like working on a root center, like it did not sound like my voice. These were sounds I'd never made in my life. And, but at the time I was just like, it just like comes out, right? And then, you know, I voice noted my sister too. She's like, dude, I literally heard your voice. <laughs> She's like, you were in my room, um, you know, or like you were you were here. Uh, I heard your voice. Like, you know, I could hear you saying how safe and protected I was. I saw grandma because like obviously I'd called um, our ancestors who I've been working, working actively in um, as well. She's like, yeah, I saw you. I saw grandma. Um, I heard your voice, all of this stuff. And she's like, yeah, I, I felt everything, like everything that I described. She's like, yeah, I physically felt that. So I was almost like, okay. And you know, it's funny. Cause like I did my Reiki one and two about, oh my God, a long time ago, long before I even started my business. Like this was before COVID. Whew. Um, I want to say like 2018, 
something like that anyway um but had never really used it and you know it's just like really interesting to see like all of that and then I've done like other energy um energy healing like courses classes etc uh but yeah I guess because of a lot of this like witch wound stuff I've never been able to really really harness it or never even like it's hard to describe it's like I didn't even want to like I didn't even want to go there it's like I was it's like my body my nervous system was trying to protect me from going there because of what had happened before when I was like fully in that um okay so there was that and then I did another one of my friends the next night uh, and, you know, had more just like wild experiences. And since then, like every day I've been like doing one or two like volunteers um, and increasingly just having incredible results. And, you know, the feedback has been incredible and it just feels so good too. And then, so Leanne led me through a quantum, um, like a kind of quantum journey, like quantum future journey uh a couple of days ago because I wanted I just I just want some like clarity and direction because you know my my work has felt like sort of stagnant for a long time like obviously I enjoy talking about human design and now that I've sort of turned it into more like applied human design um it feels really really good and obviously now with evolutionary astrology and everything that I do there I've just naturally brought in more of my magical practice into it so that is also starting to feel more me, but I always knew I, I just continue, I've continued to felt like there's something else. And so we, we did this journey and I won't go into too many of the details, but it's kind of like, I saw like two alternative timelines. Um, I got to see mine there. And there was like one timeline where I kept doing my business now. And she was like, like that version of Heather was like super, super successful, but like, she was like soulless. (laughs) Like there was just like something dead and missing inside of her. And then the alternate timeline, Heather, like the other Heather, um, I couldn't see exactly what she was doing for work, but she was like warm. She was loving, like she was fully present and I couldn't even see like really where she was. Um, but she was just warm. And then after taking time to reflect on it and also continuing my own journeys and healing and working with my own Akashic records and my own guides and all of that stuff in my own practice, I was like, I need, I I don't want to leave my magical side out of my work anymore. Like, I don't want to keep pretending to be some like beige um, business coach or anything like that. When like, I'm a witch, I always have been a witch. I've told you guys so many times about like, and the other day someone was like asking me like how I got into what I'm doing now. I'm like, okay, imagine you are a first-time parent, right, and your eldest daughter, age 11, <laughs> comes home, and you're, like, regular Joe parents, right, you're not, like, um, you're not, like, Catholic or anything, like, my, my parents were pretty much atheists, um, but your 11, 12-year-old daughter says, mom, I'm a witch, and you go up to her room, and she's got, like, a full-on altar with, like, pentagrams, candles, herbs, um, spells set up, right, she's, she's just done a, um, a money spell and successfully like multiplied her pocket money. It was like $20 that I turned into $60, you know? And yeah, I sort of was just like voice noting Leanne and I was like, Oh my God, like, I'm pretty sure it's just like, if I don't allow myself to bring this part of me into my work, it's always going to feel like, yeah, it it can be successful. Like obviously can be successful. I've had success with it, but 
it's soulless. Anyway, so that is a very, very, very long um, winded little update on what's been happening. Um, so for the time being, I'm running basically two entities. Um, I, don't, I can't really call my other space a business because it's just a frequency, uh, ancient activation. And yeah, I'm obviously I'm, I'm still like training and I'm still practicing all of the energy healing, the past life readings, the Akashic readings. Um, I've been working with people's dragons too um, and all of that stuff. But I think, yeah, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start offering like either by donation or kind of like I did when I was first starting doing my astrology and my human design readings, I did like stepping stone pricing. So like my first five, I think I charge like $40 and then my next five, I charge like, you know, $50 and then upwards and upwards until I felt confident. So I might do something well, I will likely do something like that with the other types. Anyway, so let's talk about Rory Gilmore. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'll keep you guys updated on everything else. Okay, so this is a very important episode to me. I was going to, <clears throat> man, I've wanted to record or just like <laughs> rant about this for so, so long, but there are so many people who... I will be honest, have probably not really watched Gilmore Girls from the beginning. And if they have, they just probably haven't. Like, if you'd watch Gilmore Girls from the beginning, like, Rory is not the bad guy. Like, that you, yeah, you probably can't escape, like, people, like, commentators on YouTube or just, like, people on TikTok wanting to be cool and, like, you know, uh, bag on Rory and stuff like that saying like Rory had a downfall and like that's annoyed me from the start because it's just like okay so you have this girl so if you've never watched Gilmore Girls I feel like this episode will still make sense but you probably will need to at least know like the uh, a few of the main characters like Rory and Laura Lie, Gilmore their mother and daughter um you know people say like oh Rory had such a downfall right but it's like okay Rory was the the good girl right she got good grades she was well behaved um she you know wasn't gonna have sex like she was whatever your classic like well-studied little does nothing wrong little angel right um and that's like a big theme in the show too that we'll talk more about it's like oh Rory's special Rory's special like there is a lot of pressure on Rory's shoulders I will be honest uh, to to maintain this like good girl special not like the other girls um but it's not like her telling people she's not like anyone else it's like the world projects onto her like oh you're not like the other girls um you're special you know you're good and then you know Rory makes a few mistakes and everyone's like oh my god like Rory's the worst person ever it's like okay firstly for starters no um a lot of the things that Rory like did like Yes, we're questionable behavior, but when you hear about her trauma, which I think I think a lot of people are blind to because people have in their head that people who come from like wealthy backgrounds can't have trauma. But this is the thing, is that like trauma does not really discriminate. So and like there's a whole different kind of trauma that comes from the kind of wealth that the Gilmores come from. Because there is so much pressure like that family, that entire family unit, right? Before I even get into like uh, the, you know, Rory being born to a 17 year old of it all, that family unit, that ancestral line, it is all about appearances, right? It is all about appearances. It is about what you do for work. It's about how successful you are. It's about what grades you get. It is about 
who you date, right? Are you dating the right person? Um, it's about how, yeah, how you look, how you present yourself, good manners. Uh, you, you can't be yourself in that sort of upbringing, right? They are old money. They are, um, they live in Connecticut, in um, Hartford, which, you know, you guys know my friend, Abby, um, she's told me that Hartford's not a wealthy area, but that is the way in this show it is set up, right? They're a very, very old money family. And what comes with that is a ton of pressure. So already that, like already without adding on top of the specifics of how she was raised, having an absentee father, um, all of that stuff, you can already see like there is so much potential for um, her being conditioned to like not be out, not feel free to be herself, um, to feel just a ton of pressure on her shoulders and to truly feel like the only hope for this family, which is basically what was put on her shoulders. Okay. So let's get into her like mother situation now. So Lorelai Gilmore, right? Rory's mum was the only daughter of Richard and Emily Gilmore, right? So you have this old family unit where, um, appearances is everything. They have one daughter. Okay. They have one shining light, one shining hope to carry on this lineage, this Gilmore name, this old money name. And then, uh, this daughter, um, rebels quote unquote, and gets pregnant at 16 and refuses to marry the person who got her pregnant. And that is not, (laughs) That is not like, that is not like a welcoming, safe situation. Okay, so <clears throat> the the human nervous system, right? For everyone, right? It is it begins to be shaped, and also your beliefs about yourself and your like right to be on this planet, um, they begin to be more or less shaped in utero. Okay, and during this time, right, when Lorelai is pregnant with Rory, she is kind of repeatedly told about either like. Uh, to her face, which I'm guessing if you kind of know Emily and Richard. Um, And also she would have overheard conversations referring to her as a failure, as a disappointment, um, as a letdown. Um, But she's also just like picking up on that uh, vibration as well. Like that is the overarching like message that is coming into Lorelai's system and that she is also then imprinting on Rory. It's through no, no fault of the mother. Um, but you cannot avoid that kind of stress, uh, like when you're pregnant, impacting the baby. And then when it comes to birth, so we do the, through like a few like flashback episodes, um, we do get to see the birth. And because of that attitude towards um, Lorelai and the growing tension with her parents, I mean, we get the message that there's been tension with her parents since she was born, but I'm like... <laughs> I'm going to assume that that got a lot worse once that one shining light for the Gilmore name that was supposed to go to a really good college, you know, probably Yale, um, because that's like the family legacy school and, you know, was top of the class. All of this stuff uh, got pregnant. So Lorelai goes into labor alone and she gives birth to Rory alone. Uh, So from the start, um, we have this like, I don't need anyone else sort of um, feminine role model, uh, modeling what it means to be a woman, like that you can do anything alone, including giving birth. And we have the absentee father, right? The dad who wasn't there and 
really wasn't a father, um, was actually more of a liability. I will not be making any excuses for Christopher. Um, I like Lorelai, uh, though she is a very flawed human being. I despise Christopher. He is probably the biggest villain out of any TV show in the world for me. Okay, so we pretty much assume, like, we don't know for sure when Christopher, like, kind of left the life and kind of stopped being by Lorelai's side during this time when they like broke up. Um, but we kind of assume that Christopher more or less left after Lorelai said like, we can't get married. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, from, from about the, like, we're going to say like four a month period in to the pregnancy, there was no fatherly energy whatsoever. Right. Okay. So after a year or so um, of living with the grandparents, the, you know, the dislike of feeling trapped by your parents, that, that growing, 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 um, and also like the energy of them being embarrassed of her, right? So you have this like child mother um, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you have the teen mother born to a family, again, where the pressure to, you know, keep up appearances is everything, okay? So Lorelai runs away. She has nowhere to go, okay? This is a 17-year-old girl with a tiny little baby with a one-year-old, right? She has nowhere to go. Um, for whatever reason, <laughs> she ends up in Stars Hollow, this, this tiny little town. So we'll get to Stars Hollow in a second. Um, and so in her first 12 months of life, Rory's picking up on a constant vibration of a household full of arguments, tension and arguments. And even though she can't like fully understand the words and the sentences that are being said, she is going to pick up on the energy that this tension is because of her. Um, and even if it wasn't because of her, which it is uh, still as a child, like because um, as a surviving mechanism, right, as a coping mechanism, um, children do have a tendency to, especially tiny, tiny little children who, who struggle like to, you know, have their own words and um, executive functioning and all of that. Uh, they're going to assume that tension problems are caused by them. Um, and this is so that they can change their behavior to be more likable and thus to survive. Okay, so <clears throat> there you go. Rory has already picked up in the first 12 years of life that it is her existence that has ruined the reputation of a good old money family, right? There you have it. The pressure begins. The trauma begins. And if that was all there was, that would be enough uh, to explain um, Rory's like kind of like failure to thrive, I'll call it, like as she grows older. So when we get to, um, well, there are like a few incidences throughout the series that I'll talk about. And then also like in the reunion, it's really, really, really disappointing. And I remember like when I first watched the reunion reunion or whatever it's called, like the 10 years later special. I remember when I first watched that um, in 2016 being really, really disappointing. So I was like, oh, Rory was meant to be the one who like had it all together. Like, um, you know, at this time I was like, what, 22, 23. And my life was also a mess. And I was like, but Rory was a good one, right? Like she was meant to be the shining hope. Why did they have to show her life still being a mess, right? Her career hasn't taken off. Um, she was dating um, someone who was engaged, uh, well, sleeping with someone who was engaged, all of that stuff. Um, but now I understand, right? Now, because I've studied trauma and its impacts on the life, the body, the nervous system, and how we live our lives and what happens if you don't get therapy or you don't, you know, work um, on your on your stuff? 
I'm like, okay, that actually makes perfect sense. Anyway, so um, let me see. All right, so Emily. Emily is the grandmother. Um, Emily is one of my favorite characters in that show. I love her character arc. I think she shows some of the greatest growth in all of the characters and they really human they do such a good job at humanizing Emily okay so you can really see in Emily the intergenerational trauma right she can't share her emotions she will not go to therapy because she has pride she is from a proud family with a good reputation to uphold she cannot be shown to you know feel emotional um or or you know be someone who needs therapy right there are several um times in that series well that I'm thinking of at least one but I'm, I feel like there was multiple where Emily was like what are you saying I don't need therapy um because that will look bad right and she also um Okay, so this show, Gilmore Girls show, so it started in the year 2000 and it finished around the year 2007. It really does demonstrate, I guess, like third wave feminine, third wave feminism, right? It was a lot of that, like the woman can do it all. Like if we look to Lorelai, um, while she is, I think inspiring in a lot of ways, she has a lot of, I'm going to say like, she's too independent, right? She is too independent to the point that she doesn't know how to ask for help. Um, and she, yeah, she kind of tries to so much be the one who can do it all and have it all to the point where I think it is like, she seems to thrive with it, but me personally, I, I could not. Right. Um, okay. So Emily, on the other hand is, um, she is the wife of an old money family, right. And she, enjoys you can tell throughout this series how much it means to her to be able to take care of her family right uh to look after her husband and make sure that he is well taken care of that he has everything that he needs she runs the household and she also um takes care of the family's like social reputation right she has all these organizations charities all of that that she's a part of she has her groups and all of that and Yet you kind of see throughout the series, she she gets compared to Lorelai and Rory in kind of two different ways. I think Richard actually does um, a few times, you know, compare uh, Emily and Rory saying like, I don't want her to, you know, end up like you, you know, just a wife. Um, even though he doesn't say as many words, that is how it is implied and that is you know, really devastating and yeah, it, it definitely has an impact on her. Um, and then I know Emily kind of compares herself a few times to Lorelai, Lorelai being again, this woman who, um, is happy to, you know, turn down, um, perfectly good, like marriage proposals and, uh, date the man who works in a diner and, um, you know, go on little adventures and be the big career woman and open her own inn and be independent. Right. You can tell that even though Emily, um, Emily and Lorelai have a lot of tension in their relationship, but Emily will also, I feel like compare herself to, the two younger girls who really do represent that more like third wave feminism, like, you know, a woman can have it all. Um, and she sort of has to be someone who is quote unquote, just a wife. I'm putting that in quotes because I do not believe that 
like the whole point of feminism that's what we're up to now thank god or at least what we're moving into is that a woman should be able to choose what it means for her to be a woman if she wants to be a stay-at-home mom if she wants to um you know take care of her, take care of her family take care of like her social affairs all of that stuff then that is perfect and then you know if you want to be a career woman then you can do that if you want to have kids have kids if you don't want to have kids don't have kids right we've really like hopefully I think turned a corner um but when this show came into being that was definitely not the case and I I don't think this is the thing I I think the show writers do a pretty good job at not making Emily's choices look bad but you can tell Emily has to do battle with what she thinks of as her husband and maybe um her family looking at her choices like oh you know so sad she's just just a wife again quote unquote okay so there's that um yeah at at her heart Emily loves her family her duty and responsibility is also to the Gilmore name right part of her being Richard Gilmore's wife is holding his name the name that she has taken on and has taken this responsibility for right so (laughs) once the show starts um and they kind of like reunite with the grandparents, right? Like through a series of events, uh, the grandparents come back into the lives of Lorelai and Rory. All of a sudden, the pressure is put on Rory, right? To restore the good Gilmore name, okay? So Lorelai was a letdown. They've let her go. Um, They're giving up on that and they are putting the entire weight of a legacy, right? On this 16-year-old girl's shoulders. Wow, wow, okay? You're starting to see. Are you starting to see this the impact that could have on a child's nervous system? All right. Lorelai's dad. Let's do Christopher, right? We can't avoid him as much as I wish we didn't have to talk about him. Daddy issues are always the fault of the father, okay? But they are definitely there. <laughs> okay, Lorelai's dad. Um, so we'll start there, right? We'll start with the grandfather um, because we really do have like – I guess like two generations of, I don't want to compare Richard and Christopher because they're two very different types of absent father. Christopher is a man child, right? He just never got his life together. He is a child. He is a grown man child. Uh, Richard is a fully grown adult. He just, again, much like Emily, um, who knew one way to love her family, right? Which was to be that moral pillar um, and ensure their needs are taken care of and all of that. Lorelai's dad knew how to be a dad in the sense that like his role was to provide for the family, right? So he wasn't necessarily good at like being there to buy her Barbies and like chat to her and play with her. He was showing his love by working, right? Um, The classic dad like acts of service, okay? So yeah, this is where like again, just like something to keep in mind is that like, it annoys me when people talk about like the Gilmore, like Lorelai and Rory being privileged. And so they're just whiny and annoying kids um, who should have just like got their, got their shit together, essentially. It's like, okay, I understand where you're coming from and they should have gone to therapy. But when you take into account, like what they went through and their raising their conditioning um, and how their nervous systems were shaped, what they do and how they act is actually perfectly reasonable. Is it, you know, on them to deal with their stuff by going to therapy or working with someone? Yes. 
Um, but they also had the pressure of being a Gilmore and, you know, reputation being what it's all about, uh, that they didn't do that. Also, this was like the early 2000s. So therapy wasn't, you know, standard. Um, because here's the thing, right, is that trauma does not skip um, the wealthy, right? It's it's a different type. But <clears throat> the baby's nervous system is still going to register or like the child's nervous system is still going to like register dad not being there, um, whether that father is, you know, like high on cocaine or doing heroin or something, Um or whether, whether the father or, you know, whether the dad is, you know, just not in the kid's life um, or left or whatever it is, or if that dad is not there because he's always working or he's always away on business trips and stuff like that. Like, yes, there will be probably more trauma in the like poorer um, and poverty types of families, but it doesn't completely skip the wealthy. Okay. Um, and this is where it's just important to remember that like anybody's nervous system can be calibrated to any type of like expectation or, or way of being. Okay, so let's let's come back to Rory, right? So Lorelai and Rory run away to Stars Hollow, this tiny town, <laughs> 30 minutes away from Hartford where they know no one. Uh, Lorelai gets a job um, working at an inn and it is from this point on that the two of them, right? So Rory is one year old. Um, Lorelai is about 17 or 18 at this point. Um, I'm going to say about 18. From this point on, it becomes us against the world, right? They become a team. And because it is just the two of them and Lorelai is still growing up and Rory being a child who is hyper aware that she needs to survive um, and that survival is um, an important thing for her to you know, prioritize, uh, Rory has to grow up very, very quickly. And you can see all throughout the series, right? Rory became a parent for Lorelai very, very early because Lorelai is also still a child. Um, <clears throat> there are so many different examples. Like Lorelai never really matured herself. If you think about it, and again, this is not like her fault. She had a 10 year old, <laughs> At her satin return okay so she didn't get to do a full satin cycle of just growing herself up um she didn't get to like i guess have that space to make mistakes in her early 20s she had to be focused on survival not just for her but for a tiny little child okay um okay so yeah there are so many different examples during the show when lorelei's freaking out and rory has to be the one to talk sense into her right to talk her down um <clears throat> You know, there's one example, I believe it's in like season two, I want to say it's season two, and Rory's dad has a new girlfriend, Sherry, um, and Rory's dad invites Rory to spend Christmas or, or something like the winter break or something with him and his new girlfriend, and Lorelai, Rory's mum, uh, keeps it a secret from Rory for starters, doesn't tell her, then eventually tells her when Rory like pries enough. Um, and Lorelai goes on a full-on freakout about, yeah, she she's scared that Rory's going to, you know, like this family better, all of this stuff. And Rory has to, like, talk her down from her freakout. And that's just one example. It happens so many times. Okay. So there's one thing, right, of Rory's just, like, shaping, conditioning, how she grew up um, into who she is. She had to grow up too quickly. 
And if a kid has to grow up too quickly, um, or if a kid becomes like a parent for their parent, if they are co-parenting, you're going to see that like, you know, much more likely for that codependent relationship. Um, there are so many ways that that can come into fruition and, you know, it's kind of said, and this is, again, I don't want to criticize the show because I love the show. I love its premise. Um, but you know, one thing that's repeated again and again and again is Lorelai saying, or Rory saying like, she's not my mom or she's not my daughter. She's my best friend. And while that is good, it's not ideal because children need a parent. Um, they don't need a best friend. Uh, you know, Lorelai even says like Rory and I are best friends first and mother and daughter second. It's, it's good. Like, you know, I'm all for like having a good, healthy sharing relationship with your mum, but it should be the other way around because kids need a parent. They need parental figures. Otherwise you're going to see this sort of situation where the parent is helping to raise the mother. Um, which is not ideal. Okay, some more examples of Rory's trauma. Season one, uh, Rory's just started a new school and Lorelai dates Rory's English teacher, okay? Firstly, keeps it a secret. Then, um, you know, Rory finds out. Uh, Then Lorelai decides to break up with him without telling him. Like, Lorelai essentially decides to ghost uh, this man. Um... Then Rory's like, again, Rory being the parent is like, oh, you need to like be mature. You need to go into school and do it to his face or you need to like do it to his face or whatever. Then Lorelai makes out uh, with Rory's teacher on a parent like school day um, and the whole school finds out that they're together. Okay, so that happens. Um, Then, you know, they break up and then they get back together and then they get engaged. Okay, so Lorelai is engaged to Rory's English teacher. All right. And then <laughs> a couple of days before the wedding, right? All the invitations out, all the all the things are set up. They've had the engagement party. Rory is excited. Um, she loves Max. She loves which is the who's the fiance, who's her teacher. And then Rory, uh, sorry, Lorelai wakes up Rory and is like, we're going on a road trip. Oh no. Okay. It's late at night. Actually, two days before the wedding, Lorelai comes into Rory's room and starts like madly packing her bag. And it's like, we're going on a road trip. Um, and yeah, they leave town, uh, because Lorelai called off the wedding and okay. So I'm not, I'm obviously not an advocate for marrying someone who you're not in love with or who you don't think you can be with. It's more just to demonstrate a, the level of like, uh, chaotic nervous system that Lorelai lives in, right? Like, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. Yeah, I totally want to get married. I totally want to get married. <gasps> I don't want to get married. Let's go on a last minute road trip. We're leaving at 5 a.m., right? And my daughter's coming with me and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and we're also looking at, like, how this has impacted Rory. We're not talking about um, whether I think Lorelai made the right decisions or not, right? They're both the individual people, but this is just how that upbringing has impacted Rory. Um, okay. You can also see that Rory, like, I'm just giving like a few random examples. Um, you can see that Rory doesn't trust her mother fully to take care of her in the episode where their house get ter- gets termites, right? Um, again, the, the kids should not have to be worried, um, about 
like survival money are we going to have a house over our head all of that stuff um I know what happens but uh in an ideal world children don't have to worry about that stuff and yet um because Rory sees that her mum is not going to put her pride aside and ask for, you know, money or a loan or something like that, or help at least from their very, very wealthy parents who obviously like uh, Lorelai doesn't like to get money from because she ran away, all of that stuff. Um, Rory goes to the grandparents and and tells them about the situation. And this, this does happen a few times where Rory kind of goes beyond her mum's back, but I want to highlight this exact situation because it's like, you can see that there is a part in Rory where she doesn't fully trust her mother to like look after her, right? Rory is already taking care of herself um, and looking out for herself and also looking out for her mother, right? Being, again, she's being the parent, she's being the mature one saying like, we need to put our pride aside. You need to put your pride aside, mum, because I want a place to live. Um, And yeah, the way that Lorelai handles that situation is also not the best okay Christopher all right the worst father in the world um I'm I'm sure he's not the worst dad in the world but he's not my favorite character um you know but because dad that fatherly figure can really do no wrong for a really really long time in the eyes of little girls right um we because you know dad really does you know represent that protective that uh sort of yeah protective figure for little girls like we we love our dads right so oftentimes you will see like you know and you do see in the show like Rory really forgives him forgives his immaturity almost makes it a joke that he's always making promises that he doesn't keep that he can't hold down a job that he's never around um that he forgets to call uh, all of these things right her and her mom like will joke about it when really that sucks that really really hurts Um, And you can see, like, she's visibly disappointed in him, but she forgives him, right? Again, she is parenting him. She is parenting both her parents. But one thing I do like is that you can see that as Rory gets older um, and she loses that kind of like, oh, dad can do no wrong, um, little girls like rose-colored glasses, she really does start to wise up. And, (laughs) but it's not like, yeah, she's, she still does, like, forgive him. She wants him in her life. She really does. But she does – I'm thinking of that one situation where um, Rory goes to Christopher, her father, and tells him to um, stay away from her mom because her mom is in a happy, healthy relationship for once. And, you know, Rory doesn't want – you know, Rory can see that her dad always messes that up for her mom, right? And so she warns him to stay away. So (laughs) at least Rory is starting to see that her dad is not perfect um, and that, you know, he's he's not the best person. Um, But she's doing it to protect her mother. Again, like she is, she's the child in this relationship, uh, this connection, this little threesome. So no. Okay. Um, Okay. So that's the parents that's the upbringing uh let me think if there's anything else that I want to share I'm sure there are so many examples of like traumatic things but I feel like I've highlighted the major major things right so just not a good father figure right not a good uh representation of you know true safety um in in a man um and because Rory will go on to date men that's really really important what was modeled to her about the masculine and about men Uh, you know, as far as we know, Rory is straight. So that is going to shape. And again, unless you get therapy, uh, that 
fatherly masculine figure is going to represent a lot of what forms your ideas um, about what a man should be like or you know if you go down that more like I'll never date someone like my dad uh, route then you know what a dad shouldn't be like or whatever okay um and then also like so definitely the co-parenting with her mother um raising herself that you know strong independent I don't need anyone else uh sort of um aspect of the feminine being modeled the huge amounts of pressure on her shoulders wow you know the list goes on all right so you have this perfect melting pot of situations that is going to lead up to quote unquote her downfall um all right there is so much pressure like so even outside of the Gilmore family there's just pressure on smart girls intelligent girls to be perfect right um this is just like a standard like like I guess it's just like a societal conditioning of the good girl Rory fit the mold of a good girl and when she started making decisions and taking actions that went against that people took it personally right because all of a sudden she wasn't the good girl and uh they had to face that she was an independent woman um with her own like desires right she had her own will she was really developing her own will and she couldn't be that one shining hope for the Gilmore name anymore okay so with the downfall um let's start with Dean um because like I guess like one of the big things that people like Rory's the worst uh is because okay so Jean was her boyfriend when she was like 16 17 um until she got together with Jess like the bad boy uh sort of archetype um the intelligent tortured bad boy might I add um but then like one of the bad thing like quote bad things that Rory does is she loses her virginity to Dean uh when Dean is married um about I want to say like two years after they they'd broken up <clears throat> yeah I believe it's the end of season oh, season four it's after Rory's first year at college don't quote me on the season but it's a season finale anyway I want to say season four anyway it doesn't really matter okay so firstly like my opinion on this is a Dean was the one who was married okay and yeah the um the like the way that that was whole handled um okay so yeah all right so Rory wants to feel chosen she wants to feel special uh this is what she is seeking this is what her inner child is seeking she wants to be chosen she wants to feel like taken care of by that masculine figure because she didn't have it from her father right um she she felt rejected dejected a lot of times by him by him letting her down and so here is the thing um and I know people get like so intense like cheating is a whole topic onto its own but sometimes and this I'm just speaking about from Rory's point of view okay and I'm saying this as also a woman who had to like you know get trauma around this uh get like therapy and sort myself out around this situation <clears throat> when someone is married or you know in a very happy relationship which Dean was when this happened all of a sudden you have this opportunity to feel special to feel chosen because you are quote unquote um 
better than the wife. This is not Rory's conscious mind. This is her unconscious mind being like, ooh, I'm special. I'm better than the, the wife, right? It was always meant to be me and Dean, all of this stuff, right? She found that with someone who represented safety to her, right? Like Dean um, was that first boyfriend. They loved each other. He, you know, as much as as much as I don't like him, um, you know, he was sort of presented as like a good-ish boyfriend. So there's that. And then, you know, that whole situation <laughs> uh, really didn't end well. So like losing your virginity as a woman, as anyone is, is a big deal. It's like, you know, you really are opening up to someone and then straight away um, after that, her mother is yelling at her and telling her what a terrible person she is. And Rory really has that reality crashing down of like, oh my goodness, I've just slept with a married man in a small town um, where I know his wife, you know, again, I'm not saying this was like perfect behavior, but we're just looking at how you can sort of explain what happened. Um, and you can also think about all the things that Rory does as this like, it's this unconscious like rejection of the pressure that's been put on her to be perfect and to solve the entire family situations. Right. Again, it's just too much pressure to put on someone's shoulders. Uh, and so she could just be unconsciously trying to get away from that, to get some of that pressure off her shoulders. Um, Jess, Jess, Jess. So do I want to say anything about Jess? I mean, you know, some people will say that like, this is where like the downfall started. Um, and maybe if you're looking at, at the, from that perspective, yes, uh, Rory was definitely like flirting with and like starting things up with Jess, uh, while she was still with Dean. Um, and again, Jess represented that like bad boy. Uh, he, he was a mischief maker. Uh, he was troubled youth as Taylor Dozy might say. <laughs> oh my God. I swear I'm not drinking. I'm drinking mineral water. Uh, I'm just telling jokes to myself. Um, okay, so Gilmore related jokes. Um, but, well, firstly, I think like every 17 year old girl needs to date a bad boy and better she does it now than, you know, when she's like 27. Um, so I think that's one thing. But then also we can think about like, why is she drawn to that edge? Um, firstly, Rory is a fixer. She is... Um, she is someone who's been like co-parenting her parents for the last like, you know, 17 years. Um, she sees her dad's potential, just like she sees Jess's potential. Uh, she sees Jess as a um, project, but you know, Jess realizes as much as he loves her, right? He can't live up to her expectations. And because Jess uh, doesn't know how to open up about its feelings, um, he shuts down about it. He, they don't talk about it. He shuts down. And, you know, Rory is really like just trying to bring out the potential of, I would say like all of her boyfriends more or less, um, because she's really, really wanting her dad to fulfill his duties. And she's trying to get, um, she is trying to kind of like fulfill that through the men that she's with. Again, this is all unconscious. Uh, of course, Jess leaves without a word, right? This is heartbreaking. Um, I'm like in my yearly rewatch, I'm almost up to the episode um, where Jess leaves and I'm very scared. Jess leaves without a word. Um, about a year later, he randomly comes back into town, tells her he loves her and then runs away, right? Doesn't even wait for her to say anything, right? This is a, like just this man is so terrified of emotional intimacy, um, just like her parents, right? Her parents are completely emotionally immature. 
Um, and I really do think that this specific relationship, like the Jess relationship, was a really, really traumatizing moment for her. It left a really big imprint on her. Um, it definitely like put a lot of trust issues inside of her. Uh, they never broke up. Okay, Rory and Jess never broke up. Jess got on a bus. Uh, Rory saw him on the bus. Jess hid his big bag, right? He hid the bag that he was running away to LA um, to find his dad. So they never really had that closure, right? When someone leaves you like that, someone who you love leaves you like that, when, you know, they shared a lot. They shared a lot, Rory and Jess. Like they weren't together for that long, but they were really, really close friends. And I think they still, you even see the reunion, they still mean so much together. Um, But when someone that you love literally just like skips town, ghosts you, right? when you're 17 okay who is not what what kind of woman is not going to internalize that as complete rejection uh number two like he didn't respect her enough to tell her where he was going that he was leaving and again this is not jess's fault he's also a kid who had a ton of trauma um this is like this is the system's fault okay this is the system's fault uh that every single kid doesn't know how to deal with their stuff okay um all right so logan logan definitely fits the bill of um making her feel special right um giving her that sense of being chosen right you logan is that like classic rich wealthy playboy uh who you know can't be tied down doesn't do girlfriends all of that and then when he says okay fine i'll be a boyfriend obviously she's like oh my goodness you chose me right it's just gonna add to her desire to feel chosen to feel special um he also is you know he's he he really is like the cocktail (laughs) rory's like ideal cocktail you've got like choose her right make her feel special um you've got the intelligence you've got the brains that is what she found in jess uh you've got that like give love then take it away um that again really really suits her uh, daddy issues. And again, daddy issues are the fault of the father. They're not Rory's fault. When I say that, I'm not saying it's her fault. Um, And then also like the rebellious, the rebellious streak uh, that, you know, both her parents really represented as an ideal thing, right? You should rebel against the system, all of that stuff. Yeah, a beautiful cocktail. Um, I've said before, I like Logan. Um, I think he's a good character and he turns into a good boyfriend. I don't think he's like, perfect by any by any means but neither is Rory neither am I um but you know the fact (laughs) yeah the fact that they are still sleeping together in the reunion like the 10 years later reunion when Logan is engaged um again to me that's not really a downfall or Rory not being a good person it's a sign that this this woman is just a little girl that has never gone to therapy Okay, Um, and yeah, this is my interpretation, right? She doesn't really feel deserving of lasting mutual love, um, which, you know, was sort of formed by both, like, her uh, situation with her dad and, and, yeah, just uh, all the pressure that is on her shoulders to be perfect. Um, She doesn't feel deserving. yeah, and there's also still, like, even if we just flash back to her being a tiny infant internalizing, like, 
you were the reason this family fell apart and your mother's life was ruined and all of that stuff. Again, that's her internalized feelings, right? Of course, there's going to be a lack of self-worth there. So she doesn't feel deserving of lasting mutual love, um, but she needs the specialness that Logan provides her, right? Logan still really knows how to make her feel special. Um, and then, you know, also in the reunion, right, she's dating people or she's dating someone and she literally forgot his name. Um, because I think like Rory knows that's maybe who she should be dating. Um, but she wants the chaos. She needs the chaos because that is how her nervous system is attuned. Okay. Um, career path. All right. Let's just do career because this is another, another place. (laughs) But we have a lot of issues. Um, okay, so just imagine, all right, you've been working towards something for your entire life. Uh, you have been, you know, wanting to go to college since you were four, which is weird. Um, but also your your mum was like encouraging that because your mum was like, you're not going to end up like me. You won't get pregnant like me. Again, this was just every episode. Oh, my God. Oh, we get it. You don't want your kid to get pregnant at 16. Okay. You want her to go to college. Fine. But again, that pressure's building, right? And Rory puts it on herself too. Rory puts a lot of pressure on herself. It's not just coming from outside. She also wants to be perfect. Um, she is trying to eradicate that sense of unworthiness that comes from being a baby who was, you know, given the message that, um, she's the reason the family's falling apart. Okay. So, you're working towards this your whole life. Um, you get into an Ivy League, right? You, you go to an amazing school, you get into an Ivy League, and then you get an internship um, with your boyfriend's father, who is like a newspaper conglomerate, right? I don't know if that's the right way to use conglomerate, right? But he, he owns a lot of newspapers and you want to be a journalist, right? You've wanted to be a journalist since you're a kid and you've been given this incredible opportunity, this incredible internship. You think you're killing it. You're putting your heart into it. Um, already your boyfriend's family has said like, you're not good enough for him because he needs, he needs someone who doesn't want a career essentially. Like, uh, you know, the the whole reason that, like, Logan's family thinks Rory's too good, uh, like, not good enough is that, yeah, they're kind of saying she's too good. Um, Rory's a career woman. Logan needs uh, a a caretaker, essentially, um, because he's going to take over his family's um, legacy. Okay, so there's that. Um, all right, so you're doing this internship, and then that person that you really, really admire, right? Your boyfriend's father looks you in the eye and says, you know, I've seen a lot of young kids, you know, intern here, come up in this, this industry. And I'm really good at telling when people have got it. And I don't think you've got it, right? How would you react? Your entire life has led up to this moment. You admire this person. This is not just someone you admire in your field. This is your boyfriend's father. And he says, you don't have it. Tell me what you would do. Okay. Tell me how you would react. Now, if you had had adequate therapy, if you had been able to work on um, some healthy coping mechanisms and, uh, you know, taking a moment to sit with your feelings, letting your emotions out, finding a safe person to talk to, tending to your own nervous system when you when it goes into that like highly activated mode, then you might make a different decision. But if you have been raised to think that you need to be a strong, independent woman, that the future of the Gilmore name uh, depends on you, that everything's been leaded up to this, um, that, oh my God, like if you've been conditioned to think and feel exactly the way that Rory feels, then you may also, you know, do some version 
of stealing a boat, right? I don't know exactly what it would look like for you, but if you're trying to tell me that you would just be totally normal, I don't want to talk to you, right? Um, okay, so there you have it. Um, so that whole situation, right? Because that's a huge thing that people talk about. Like, oh my God, how can Rory do that? Then Rory drops out of college. Of course she does. Of course she does. Okay? Like, oh my God, you really think she's going to just go back after that, right? She's been told. <laughs> she's been told that everything she's worked for is useless because this huge name in the industry has told her she's she's got it. And she doesn't share that with anyone, right? Because she's embarrassed. Of course she is. Uh, she's mortified. She doesn't want to let down her mother. She doesn't want to let down the family that the weight of which is hanging on her shoulders. Of course she does not. So she drops out of college. Um, and she, she can't talk about her feelings, right? Because she has emotionally immature parents. Uh, her mother loses at her instead of, you know, having an open dialogue about, you know, what is this really about? Um, her mum just kind of loses it and like pretty much tries to stop her from, you know, uh, dropping out of Yale and then kicks her out of the house. Well, I, I don't know. Is that what actually happens? But for whatever reason, Rory ends up moving in with her grandparents, right? Um, and, you know, then her mum doesn't talk to her for like a year <laughs> until she decides to go back to Yale, which, hello, conditional love, right? Okay, no. Uh, and... I will also say, like, I get it. I guess it. Uh, I get that it was a different time. I mean, this season was probably like two thousand four, two thousand five. But man, gap years. I would be the exact opposite. If my kid really, really wanted to go to college the first year out of school, I'd be like, yes, we'd go for it. Um, but if they were like unsure about what they wanted to do, I'd be like, dude, take a gap year, right? Go travel, go see the world, find yourself, figure out who you want to be, study witchcraft if you want, um, and then you know when you feel ready, go to university. So. Yeah, there's that. I understand it was a different time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, so there's that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Is there anything else? If I've left anything out of, like, Rory's quote-unquote downfall that I haven't, like, sort of explained uh, with her trauma, then let me know. Um, yeah, and then I guess, like, with Career Path, we can just, like, summarise it with, yeah, it is really, really disappointing when you see that 10 years later, Rory is still, like, she still hasn't, like, fully solidified herself in the journalism world. She's still, like, trying to find her feet. You know, she's had a couple of really big successes and everyone's so proud of her, but she hasn't really fully, like, found her landing there. And that is really devastating. She would have been, I want to say, like, 32. Um, well, you know, her age would have been, like, 32 when that reunion kind of comes through, which, you know, that's post-Saturn return. That's around the time when um a lot of people are like finding their footing in their career path but yeah if you take into account everything that we've heard seen um you know trauma isn't just what's happening when you're a little baby and you know pre-age seven um that event with logan's father also was deeply deeply traumatizing and though rory kind of seems to get over it i do definitely feel like it left a lasting imprint on her um, her career path and how she's held herself and I guess like yeah what her nervous system feels worthy and what she feels like she can contribute to the world and you know obviously the um, the reunion we we end up seeing Jess this you know figure who again meant a lot to her but also I think deeply deeply traumatized her uh, about what love 
um, is. Uh, but, you know, he is a good friend, right? He wasn't a good boyfriend, but I think they are really, really good friends. And Jess, okay, if we want to talk about character growth, right, Jess, I think, has the best character growth of any character in the show. He goes from that angsty child to a grown-up, right, a fully grown, mature adult. Um, and, it, you know, kind of at the reunion, it's like, while they were in school, everyone was like, to Jess, like, Rory's too good for you. I would definitely say that as much as I want Rory and Jess to end up together, uh, I would definitely say that, you know, during that 10-year-later reunion, Rory would have to do her own internal work to really be deserving of Jess. <laughs> um but yeah, so we see Jess like encouraging her to write write a book and then Rory does. So we, we don't actually see what happens, but we know that she has, I guess, turned a corner in her career path. So we do kind of have that. Um, I don't think we'll ever get any more uh, Gilmore Girls. I feel like it's done, maybe. I don't know, uh, which is sad. But I mean, I'm just grateful for what we had and I'm grateful that it'll always be there. Um if you want to fight me on anything, that's fine. Um, you know, if you still think Rory was completely to blame for her for her trauma, and this is the thing, is that, like, no no child is to blame for their actions, you know, based... Okay, so, well, okay. When I say that, it's like, yeah, Rory was a fully grown adult. By the time she's, like, 32, she should be held responsible for any decisions that she's making. Absolutely. Um, it's not that, but it can be explained. It can be explained. Okay, so since I've been talking for nearly an hour and 15 minutes about the Gilmore Girls, I am going to leave it there. Um, But it's been an absolute pleasure as always. And yeah, I will talk to you next week. Hey, all right. Bye.